Coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn, this is 112BK. On the show, after the mass murder in Lower Manhattan, some questions. Continued coverage of Brooklyn City Council races. Voter turnout and why it matters. And a Brooklyn initiative on domestic violence. Hi, I'm Ashley Ford, and thanks for joining us. We're going to jump right in. Shortly after we finished taping Tuesday's show came the news about the mass murder on the Lower Manhattan bike path. We're heartbroken for the families who lost loved ones, and we wish those who were injured a speedy recovery. We also feel for New York's Muslim community, who will almost inevitably experience vilification because this deranged individual claimed Islam, ISIS more specifically, as the flag under which he committed this craven act. And when we say New York's Muslim community, we're also talking about our community, right here at Brick and in Brooklyn. This morning, Donald Trump blamed the attack, in part, on Senator Chuck Schumer and the diversity lottery system. Trump was getting his cue, as always, from right-wing commentators who sought to link Schumer to the bill that created the lottery. Schumer was indeed involved in codifying that system, but he also tried to do away with it years later. So why would that be receiving attention? As of taping, it's not yet been confirmed that Seifullo Saipov came in through the diversity visa. But what is the diversity visa? Joining us by Skype is an immigration lawyer who's worked with individuals, including ones here in Brooklyn, who have arrived via the diversity visa lottery program. David Bazargan, thanks for making the time. Thanks for having me. First of all, can you explain to us what the diversity visa, like, what is it? I think a lot of people are hearing about it for the first time, um, including me. Sure. Uh, well, the diversity visa is basically allocate 50,000 green card each year to the, basically it's aimed to diversify the immigrant population. And the whole purpose is that at some point the U.S., government noticed that diversifying the immigrant into the United States is going to help the economy. So that's the whole purpose behind it. This morning, when the president tweeted that he wanted to see the, um, he wanted to see the lottery become merit-based, what does that mean? What would it mean for it to be merit-based versus the qualifications or stipulations now? Sure, good question. Merit-based basically means that it's going to be like Canada. Canada, they have like a similar system. So it's going to be like point-based. So if someone who's fluent in English is going to get like four points, who got like five years of experience, is going to get 10 points. The degree, so based on the degree, if someone got a PhD, is going to get six points. And based on all these points, they're going to come up with the one number, and they're going to say, okay, you reach to, for instance, 65, and you're eligible for diversity. That's what merit means, merit-based. So what happens if the entire program gets repealed? There are so many people, it seems like, who are really hopeful about the program. Um, I saw tweets, actually, this morning from someone who talked about how she was planning on applying for the program, and now she didn't know what to do. What happens if it gets repealed? So basically what's going to happen is that if they cut it, the amount of people that are coming to United States based on the, you know, diversity is going to reduce. and. Uh, very likely it's going to damage the U.S. economy. So that's not a good idea. And the other way that they argue against it is the safety of the United States. So they cannot go and say, okay, there's one particular person from Uzbekistan, and because of that, we're going to close the program that we had for 25 or 26 years. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. 
So what's this all about? If it's not like if it's not actually going to keep us safer and it's not actually going to help anything, clearly you're saying that it won't help and it'll actually be a detriment to our economy. What's the point of repealing it or even making it merit-based? Exactly. So that's the point because even like back in 2007, the, the government they investigated and again they found no links to the basically terrorist act. So it's not gonna be, there is no advantage to the U.S. of just blocking all these people coming to the United States. And also if, if, if they're making like a, a merit-based, the person who got the PhD is not necessarily has more value than a person without the PhD to the United States. So all, I mean, all these purpose that they're claiming, it's meaningless. So I mean, from the day one, President, from he claimed that I'm gonna ban the all uh, the immigration and that I'm not gonna let the other people coming from people especially from the you know Muslim countries and now this is I mean all they trying to come up with a purpose and a reason but honestly no one is gonna buy it. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you, you know, give us, giving us this information and helping us understand what's happening in this news item because I feel like every day there's something else that comes up that I, I'm just totally unaware. Um, so we appreciate your knowledge and we appreciate you taking the time to be here today. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. An added note, according to the State Department's website at the time of taping, online registration for the diversity visa program for 2019 is opened until November 22nd. But since the program was already on the proverbial chopping block, there's no telling if that will remain the case. We'll be right back with a city council candidate for Brooklyn's 44th district, and later on, voter turnout and the importance of civic engagement, and also, Borough Hall's interesting approach to domestic violence. Stay with us. Our coverage of city council races continues, and there are some tight contests out there, including in the 44th district. On to talk to us about it and the issues important to the district is a man in the thick of it, Yoni Hyken, a candidate for a seat that was suddenly vacated when the sitting member decided to take a new job. So you know, we've extended invitations to the other two candidates from the seat, Kalman Yeager and Heshi Tischler, who have either declined or have yet to confirm. But for now, welcome Yoni Hyken. Thanks for joining us on uh, One Way TVK. Thank you for having me, Ashley. It's a pleasure to meet you, and uh, very nice to be with you and uh, have a chance to talk. It's nice to have you here. Thank you. Can you tell me a little bit about your district? Sure. It's, um, it's comprised of, well, from a neighborhood point of view, Bar Park, Midward, Kensington, Graveson, and uh, parts of Bensonhurst. Uh, you know, we have a highly concentrated Jewish, uh, you know, large population of Jewish, ultra-Orthodox, you know, there, but there's, it's also diverse. It's, uh, it's, it's quite New York City in, you know, what New York City is all about, which is, you know, just different, different people coming from different places, but living together amongst each other. So, um, you know, there's, uh, there's a Chinese community, large, uh, six or so percent uh, Chinese community, there's Muslim community, and of course, Orthodox and Russian community. Right. So, and there's others too, but I'm saying that. Yeah, those that, are know, just your, like the, your the, main, the main demographic numbers. Yes, exactly. Got it. Um, one of the things that we were just talking about before we got on camera is the fact that I live in the 40th, right. so very, very close to your district. Mm -hmm. I actually walk through um, specifically neighbors. Kensington mm -hmm. quite a bit. We're neighbors. Mm -hmm. um, and you were saying that one of the things that you'd like to see happen is like a little more 
inner district uh, conversation, Absolutely. a little more interaction. Can you tell me about that? Uh, totally. I, uh, you know, there's highlights all the time. Every day there's a highlight of the day that, uh, you know, helps you get through uh, mm -hmm. the campaigning, um, which of course is challenging. And so one of, the, one of the highlights that I love talking about is, there's been a few things, but for example, um, you know, visiting the Muslim community and kind of saying to them how I look at things and how I believe many in the ultra-Orthodox and Orthodox world look at things and saying like, Let, let's be an example, let's show the world, like we're, we're, we are neighbors. And it's not even like they're here and we're here and we're neighbors as in, okay, down the block. It's, it's, there are, everyone's amongst each other. Right. But there really isn't enough of that interaction. And so, and what's great about it is that when I say that, I say the same thing in, in the Muslim community as I do in the Jewish community, because I'll talk the same exact way and the response, and I, as a, I'm a social worker, which I'm sure we'll get to right. more, but I, I, you know, I look out for body language. I see mm -hmm. people's reactions. I mean, some people could fake it, of course. Right. We know that. But yeah. at the same time, you know, you generally get a sense of how people are responding to that. And, yes. you know, part of what's interesting to me is, like, by far, it's always a positive, like, yes, yeah, let's do it. And, and we yes. want this. And so, you know, then you question, like, if that's the case, which I do believe it is, mm -hmm. why isn't there more of that? So that's, yeah. that certainly has been. And uh, another example is, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, the devastation in Puerto Rico. Absolutely. And, you know, I've had radio shows, and I, you know, uh, in the last month or so, and I spent one of, one of the shows, like, talking about it, and it was during the holidays, uh, Sukkot, uh, you know, and I was talking about it's a festive time in the community. I love walking the streets. I said, and, and we should be happy. It's our holiday, but right. we have neighbors, you know, that are going through this. And other people to be concerned exactly. with and because they're our neighbors exactly. and because, you know, that's just, that's what we do and as humans, as New Yorkers, as Brooklynites. Exactly. Like, that and is what, what we, we do. What we teach our children and how we want to be treated ourselves. And, and so, so we want to be examples exactly. of that. Exactly. So, what are some yes. of the other issues that are on the table for you that are just some of the most important issues in your district? Right sure. Now. So, well, first I'll say that to me, like anything else, there's the foundation and then there's the kind of like the, the specific issues, but it's the foundation that kind of le leads to how you go about that issue. Mm -hmm. The foundation of my platform is engagement mm -hmm. and um, transparency. And I know many say that, but um, uh, I call politics unusual, as you know, we all know, you know, oh, it's politics as usual. Um, I'm 37 years old and all my life I, I, I lived in a home where my father was uh, were very well known in the streets of my, of my neighborhood. And to me, watching that all my life, mm -hmm. and that to me was normal. Like I don't really, never really had much of the private life from some right. point of view. And so watching that and developing my attitudes about seeing kind of the good, bad, and ugly in politics, and we all know the good is the opportunity to be there for people. Absolutely. And the bad and the ugly, and, we know what that could be like sometimes, the politics of politics. And oh, yeah. so when I say I'm 37 years old is that I've been in my mind, in my heart, thinking one day I want to try this and I want to, I want to do it in the way that um, I've always thought that if I tried it and if, that, that the people would respond to. And that is this right. engagement, this honesty, this, sincer this sincerity, this, you know, let's just be good together. Let's be for yeah. each other. And so the foundation of, of, you know, committing to town hall meetings, again, yes. that fundamental to me. Why do elected officials only do town hall meetings right before the election? Yes. So I went out and it was funny because I told my campaign I wanted to commit to two a month. And they said, mm -hmm. no, 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 don't, don't commit to two. It's going to be too hard to pull off. I said, okay, I'll do one. So I committed, and why did I commit? Because I wanted the people, why should they believe me 
that I'm sincere about this. If they never see your the, face, and, if and, they and never they, get to ask you questions they've heard it before. Purpose. They've heard, you know, everyone yeah. talk when they're running about how they really care. So I said, look, I'm giving you my word now, so God willing, if I am successful, and I, and right. I, uh, then I will, after a month, they could call me out and say, wait, you said that. No, because I mean business. I, so you want to be held accountable. I do. And you want, to, you want to be accountable to your community in that way, which makes sense. Um, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is, you know, obviously the attack that happened yesterday. Um, when something like that happens, in, especially in this city, post 9-11, uh, what can a city council member what do you do? Like, in that position, what can you do to, you know, like, make sure that your constituents are safe, to make sure that they understand what happened, and also to make sure that some of the people in your community, obviously, you know, you were talking about them being Muslim, that they know, mm -hmm. you know, I understand that this doesn't represent you. Yeah, there's a lot to do. I mean, you know, when, when something like yesterday happens, and last night I happened to have been on the show, on the radio, and. I shared with my audience that a part of me doesn't feel it's appropriate to talk about anything else. Mm -hmm. And then I was honest, because that's the foundation of what I'm uh, attempting to do here and saying, but this is my last show before uh, you know, the, the election. And so I am going to move on. But, and then I shared with the audience my, my own process in that and saying, we're going to talk a lot about this. But mm -hmm. then also, you know why I'm OK with also talking about the rest of, th you know, the, rest of, the of what we're talking about and dealing with is because it reminds us and reminds me personally of how serious a position like this is. Right. For, again, for all the reasons that, you know, connected to what you just asked. And so some of the things to do are, you know, change, I think, the conversation. Um, I think that, you know, it goes back to engagement and, and, and being real and honest and, and with people, because everyone digs in their trenches. You know, you, you can right. almost predict and guarantee. You put on this channel, and they will be the commentary will be this way. And you know, all the you on CNN, Fox, and you right. know, did anyone ever in those like debates or conversations between you know we have this one from the conservative and this? Did anyone ever like in the history of right. news like this like change them? Oh, you know, you're right. You have a good point. I changed my position. Of course not. And I, change the conversation a little bit. You know, have some honesty in conversation. Yes, you know, I get. Let's let someone say, you know, when I see you walking down the street, I for a second get nervous. And, right. But do you understand why? That doesn't mean I love you as a person. I, right. It's because fear is irrational. So the transparency is not just about, you know, when you talk about it, it's not just your transparency. It's also encouraging people to be transparent Absolutely. and honest Absolutely. with each other, which Beautiful. I, you know, like. You can actually, never get enough it. of that. that. That's actually, <laughs> I'm I should glad. have said things more of that way. No, no, that's no. a great way to put it. You said it's it more, in a great way. No, you said it a fantastic way. And, you know, I wish we had more time to talk. Oh, I wish we had more time to keep going. But unfortunately, no, we don't. But <laughs> thank you so much for coming here thank and for you. sharing your thoughts and your platform Absolutely. with our audience. Absolutely. Thank, thank you. you. Next, are you going to vote next Tuesday? Statistics say that only about one out of seven will. Why? Don't remember your civics lessons? No? That's okay because our next guest is gonna give you one, so don't go away. When Bill de Blasio first ran for mayor four years ago, fewer than 15% of New Yorkers decided that contest. In the primaries in September, same. The second lowest turnout ever. Not sure why this is happening. Didn't we just see what happens when people who care don't vote? We got you-know-who in the White House. Denora Gattaccio of Generation Citizen follows these trends and is trying to append them. She's here to talk to us about civic engagement and how much it matters. Denora, welcome to 112BK. Thank you for having me, Ashley. Thank you so much for being here. Why 
why is voter turnout so low? So, you know, that's a really good question. Uh, thanks again for having me. I'm the executive director in New York City for Generation Citizen, mm -hmm. a national organization focused on really re-engaging and reinvigorating civics education mm -hmm. in our city, in our country's schools. We're doing that because we realize that we're at a crossroads for our democracy. Not only are we in a politically divisive climate, mm -hmm. but more and more we see that young people as well as adults, don't actually understand how government works. Right. I would say the root cause of that problem is because we haven't taught them how. Mm. What we've seen is that over the last several decades, we've de-emphasized the importance of civics education in schools. And when it's taught, it's taught in a rote way. So really, we have a bunch of Americans, especially young people, who either aren't being taught at all, or when they are, we're asking them to memorize a couple of government facts. We do that, and we want to shake that up. We actually want to get young people and citizens writ large to understand how government relates to their everyday lives. And so we have implemented in schools around the country what we call action civics, mm -hmm. really just getting young people to not only just understand the fundamentals of how democracy works, but how do you apply that to impacting change on issues in your community? What's at stake here? Because I feel like one of the things that happened, especially after this last general election, was that so many people were suddenly like, I didn't realize what was at stake mm -hmm. when I didn't show up. Right. So can you explain to people, especially right here in New York, what is at stake when you don't show up? Lots of things are at stake, and our program is really explicitly focused on the local level, mm -hmm. because we know that when your city council member, your mayor, your borough president, your public advocate, your comptroller, when you're voting for those local offices, those are the ones that impact your day-to-day -day lives. Mm -hmm. While the president of the United States is an important figure, and what happens at the federal level does matter, we know that if there's a pothole in your community, or you need a, you know, a, a traffic signal in, installed at a key intersection, right. that's going to impact your daily life more than what's happening at the federal level. Mm -hmm. And so we've been focused on re-engaging in democracy at the most basic level, at the local level. Because we know on the November 7th general election ballot, not only are you going to be asked to vote on city council members, the mayor, the public advocate, the borough president's council members, district attorney, but on the back of that ballot, for example, a once-in-20-year opportunity to vote on a New York State Constitutional Convention. Right. New Yorkers across the state need to know that's what's at stake, right? Mm -hmm. And then they need to know what to do, how to be informed and engaged. Mm -hmm. Our work in the classroom through Action Civics is giving middle and high school students the information and, more importantly, empowering them to be engaged. Mm -hmm. And then we put out resources like our State Constitutional Convention lesson package so that all New Yorkers understand, why am I being asked to vote on whether or not we should have a State Constitutional Convention? So what have recent elections looked like, mm -hmm. numbers-wise? It's pretty, it's pretty sad, unfortunately, right? Yeah. So you cited some of those stats. We know that in the most recent primary election here at the local level, just under 15 percent of registered Democrats thought that they should turn out to elect the mayor or a local city council member. Right. And that varies from district to district. So, for example, I live on, on the Upper West Side in Council District 6. We had about 15,000 people show up to vote in that primary for the city council race. The flip side is you could have a district like here in Brooklyn in Council District 36 where 400 people show up to vote in that election. We need all New Yorkers, one, to understand what's at stake, mm -hmm. that politics is relevant to their daily lives. It's not just this dirty word that we say in hushed corners. Right. And that local decision making can be effective and that mm -hmm. they have to plug in and be engaged. I think one of the things that people have a hard time understanding, at least when I talk to them, is how m these decisions, how showing up to the polls mm -hmm. affects their daily lives. Right. Because so many people are focused on, you know, I'm just trying to get through the day. Right. I'm just trying to, I can't even think about, you know, who's going to be, you know, my comptroller for a year <laughs> or for two years. Right. Like they don't need, they don't know what, to, what the terms mm -hmm. are. Like it's, it's rough for them to figure out how this plays into their lives in a way that matters. Right. 
And I think you're right. It also plays most uh, acutely to underserved communities, right? Yes. So, you know, I'm an African-American woman who grew up in the Bronx. Those communities that are the most underserved, we realize, are the least likely to understand how government and politics relates to their daily lives. Mm -hmm. And so when we're doing our work through Generation Citizen, we're really focused on serving those communities, be them urban or rural, the ones that are most underserved, because we know that they need to understand the most why government works, what it does, and how can it help them improve their daily lives. I am a mother of three, so I get it. On a daily, you know, every day, I've got so many things to deal with. Maybe government, well, not for me, but maybe government isn't the first thing I wake up thinking about. Right. We need to break down some of those silos and remind people that it's not just about, you know, getting the kids off to school and going to work, mm -hmm. but that if we are going to collectively improve and strengthen our democracy, we all have to lean into that. And right. so that's the work that I'm doing at Generation Citizen, is one, educating young people about why democracy matters, mm -hmm. getting them to connect that to issues that matter to them in their community. Um, and then we do, you know, some programming to be able to push out content to older adults to get them to right. realize how they can be civic engaged. You've brought up young people and kids a lot. Yeah. Are young people who get to that point where they can vote, are they showing up? Are they voting more or less? The challenge is they're not showing up. And I yeah. think, and it's because they actually don't believe that government is here for them. Right? We know that in the last citywide election, in the 2013 mayoral, only 11% of eligible 18 to 30 year olds thought it was worth their time to show up to vote. Right. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you hear statistics around only a quarter, this is mm -hmm. astounding, a quarter of young people actually think that it's good to live in a democracy. Well, what else should we live in, right? Yeah. We need to re-engage them. We need to explain to them why government matters, that it's here to serve them. Most importantly, that they can be um, agents for effective change in their community. Right. If we don't do that, right, we, we know that on the other end of the spectrum, my mom is a senior citizen, God bless her, mm -hmm. she shows up to vote. She understands why government matters. She remembers and lived through some of the civil rights and other historical moments that, where we were fighting to be enfranchised and what was at stake. Right. I don't have to remind my mother to vote. In fact, she calls me and says, wait, I was number two in the books this morning instead of number one. Right. That's what I want our young people to do, right? Because if mm -hmm. we are gonna continue this more perfect union over the next century, we need young people to understand that democracy is here for them and that they can make their voice heard. Thank you so much for being here today, Denora. <laughs> I really appreciate that information. I really appreciate what you're encouraging people to go out and do, which is be civically engaged. I hope people are listening. I hope they are too. <laughs> Up next, Borough Hall's Kathleen Daniel to talk to us about domestic violence in Brooklyn. According to criminal justice services statistics, Brooklyn has the highest rate of domestic violence of all the city's boroughs. And last year, Brooklyn tied the Bronx for most domestic violence-related homicides. October was Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and to close it out, the Brooklyn Borough President, Eric Adams, held an event to raise awareness about the issue and trumpet the resources available to try to improve those statistics. We welcome Kathleen Daniel from the President's Office to tell us more. Thank you for coming on 112BK. Thank you so much for having me, Ashley. First of all, can you tell me about some of the specific leg legislation the city has put forth to help domestic violence victims? We are very excited, and this has not been formally announced yet, but the borough, Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams has worked with the New York State Assembly, namely Assembly Members Jamie Williams and Amy Pollan, to introduce legislation that passed in the Assembly, and it is yet to pass in the Senate, we're hoping to do that early January, for safe voting for domestic violence survivors. Oh, wow. 
So when you run for your life, literally, many survivors run for their lives, they leave everything behind, including their ability to vote. Mm -hmm. You can't go back home and cast your ballot in your polling, local polling area. If you change your address and you're in a shelter or a safe house, you can't fill out, fill out that address on a voter registration card right. because of, it's a safety issue. Mm -hmm. And so we're finally making some strides in New York State now where eventually survivors will be able to vote as residing in designated domestic violence housing wow. and keep that vote empowered as well as safe. Yes, absolutely. Um, what are we missing in this conversation? We're talking about legislation. We're obviously talking about how to help these women um, who are in these situations or anyone who finds themselves in a domestic violence situation. But I sometimes think that, you know, there's a neighbor to neighbor thing. You see something happening or you hear of something happening and, you know, some people go the route of it's not my business. Other people, you know, it's I wouldn't even know how to begin to help. How can Absolutely. we help people in these situations? In my years as an activist, one of the expressions um, that we used in different campaigns, silence truly does equal death. Mm -hmm. Domestic violence is perpetuated because it is, it's made invisible in this cloak of silence. Right. So we have to build awareness by allowing survivors to speak. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a survivor myself, I am honored to work for a guy who gets it. Right. And when I've spoken to him about my personal challenges with what mm -hmm. I deal with as a survivor, um, he shared with me about his indirect experience with domestic violence, having witnessed certain things in his own home. Right. And he said, well, what's the solution? Write it down. And hence the policy and strategy for domestic violence was born in wow. the office of the borough president. Um, and it led to legislation passing. He this is now the third year we've been celebrating surviving and thriving and empowering people. Mm -hmm. So we must allow survivors to speak and give them voice. Absolutely. Far beyond the hashtag of what is mm -hmm. happening currently. Um, many, many people have fought and struggled and were courageous beyond before the hashtag. Right. And we must continue to do that beyond that. We must educate. A lot of the reasons that people uh, find themselves in relationships and they stay is mm -hmm. because they're not exactly sure that this is violence. Exactly. I was one of them. Domestic violence was something, you know, with bruises and broken bones and it was not for me and it was not my community. It couldn't happen to me. Right. And so I wound up staying almost a decade in a relationship that was abusive because I didn't recognize the signs. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was looking at or dealing with. So right. we must sound the bell, mm -hmm. we must educate, not just people who may be in relationships, but those who are the neighbors, those who are the co-workers, um, to start documenting what they're seeing to assist survivors mm -hmm. um, when they finally have the courage to leave or to sound the bell for them that right. this is a relationship you should depart from. Right. And then we have to continue to look at this as a crisis. This is something that, that permeates every walk of life. Yes. The person that you go to work with, on the train with, yes. they too are a survivor. They too can be abused at home right. when the door closes. Co-workers, all kinds of situations. Absolutely. So what are the resources that we have in place right now that if someone is in this situation or if I knew someone in this situation and I wanted to just give them some information, um, what would I give them? Where would I tell them to go? One, they can absolutely go to the Borough Presence website, mm -hmm. which is brooklyn-usa.org. Mm -hmm. um, and, and go into, you know, community and areas policy and, and look at 
information and resources about domestic violence. And then we have in every borough family justice centers, mm -hmm. um, and they're usually attached to district attorney's offices. Mm -hmm. They're absolutely confidential, and you can go in and get soup to nuts, a ton of resources from getting groceries to free legal services. Right. Uh, we have free legal services at Brooklyn Borough Hall as well wow. with attorneys that specialize in domestic violence and family cases and matrimonial cases. Right. And then there is Safe Horizon and domestic violence hotlines 24-7. Mm -hmm. And these are, this is a wonderful service organization where you can literally run to um, and they can assist you if you need wow. to leave a dangerous situation right away. That's amazing. Thank you so much for this Thank information you. and for these important resources that obviously there are people out there who need them. I'm a person who needs them because I want to make sure that I'm keeping an eye out Thank for you. the women and the people who may need them in my community as well. So thank you very much for being here, Kathleen. Thank you, Ashley. Tomorrow, two more candidates in the final week of their respective campaigns. Lori Cumbo is running for re-election for city council right here in our own Fort Greene district, the 35th. And Akeem Browder is on the ballot for mayor. He's the brother of Khalif Browder, the young man who committed suicide in 2015 after spending several years in Rikers Island without ever going to trial. Thank you so much for watching, and we'll see you next time. 112BK is hosted by Ashley Ford, produced by Ross Tuttle, Fred Brown, Shereen Bargy, Emily Bogosian, and Critzy Roberts. Edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer. Our audio engineer is Eric Haugesen. Executive producers are Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias.